The Timeless Podcast Company present this podcast. In immersive sound design. Welcome to the very first episode of Breaking Out of Mini Podcast. My name is MC Search and I'm joined by my co-host Kyle Eustace. What up, everybody? Welcome to Breaking Anonymity. Each week, we sit down with musicians and celebrities to have real conversations as they share their stories of addiction and recovery. Before we bring on our first guest, we thought we'd tell you a bit about ourselves. For those that don't know, my name is MC Search, but in this format, it's more appropriate to introduce myself as Michael. I'm an addict. My clean date is 11 11 11. I spent most of my career as a rap artist in the group Third Base and as a soloist. I executive produced Nas Illmatic as well as it was written and OC's Word Life helped build Echo Unlimited Clothing, had success in television, radio and liquor. But it wasn't really until I found success in recovery that I really achieved the success that I always wanted. My hope in this creating this podcast with my partner Kyle and my partner Epic is that we can break the stigma of recovery, introduce people to a 12-step program, and hopefully lead them to a path of recovery that makes their life fuller and more complete. Uh, that's a tough act to follow. My name is Kyle Eustace. I don't quite have all those accolades, but I'm working on them. I am a senior writer at Hip Hop DX currently, also a freelancer for or I guess I should say senior contributor to Thrasher Skateboarding Magazine for the last 11 years, High Times. I mean, I have bylines in all sorts of different publications, but I guess I'm most proud of getting clean and sober in 2010. And it was literally the best decision of my life. And I hope to inspire others to go down that journey. Our first episode, we sit down with Brandon Novak. And that conversation was recorded earlier this year during the pandemic. So if there's some pops or if there's some not perfect sound in this episode, please forgive us. Recovery, like our show, is about progress, not perfection. <laughs> Perfectly stated. Hey, what's up? It is the Breaking Anonymity podcast. As you know, we talk about recovery, not only the highs and lows and have special guests talk about their recovery, but also breaking the stigma of what it means to be in recovery and finding a program that works for you. Um, my co-host, my partner in recovery is here with me. Yep, that would be me, Kyle Eustace. Um, Hello, Kyle. <laughs> Hello. Uh, you can call me journalist extraordinaire if you'd like. I would really like yes. that. Yes, yes, superstar <laughs> journalist is what yeah, I like yeah. to break you down as since you do not like <laughs> my partner in rhyme anymore. Um, yeah, I, anyway. <laughs> there's no rhyming up in here. Right. Um, but <laughs> please introduce our special guest uh, for this week and uh, let him let him know who we're going to be talking to. Okay, so real fast, um, my first job was at a skateboard shop in Omaha, Nebraska. I've been obsessed with skateboarding since I was a kid, but only because I really liked the boys, and I'll admit that it was like they were all the cool guys to hang out with, and um, so I'm kind of excited. <laughs> this is kind of like a, a dream come true here to talk to a professional skateboarder. a bit of a fanboy moment right now, a little bit Just of a fanboy moment. a little bit, a little bit. I wasn't going to call it that, but a little bit. Um, 
Um, we are here with the professional skateboarder Brandon Novak, um, who is perhaps best known as a member of the CKY uh, crew, who has starred in shows and films such as CKY3K, Diva La Bam, Jackass Number Two, Jackass 3.5, and Bam's Unholy Union. But these days, he's an author and addiction interventionist who has an incredible story of recovery. I'd like to introduce everybody to Brandon Novak. Wow. Uh... I'm equally as excited and grateful to be here with you two. Uh, I assure you that, you know, I, I, I kind of got into this before we got on air with Search. You helped cultivate and mold me as a, a child coming up in the world of skateboarding, you know, with the De La Soul era and, and just all of that. So thank you, thank you my thank friend. You. Thank you. And, and Kyle, when you reached out, you know, I'm a skateboarder through and through. It was the first thing that I did. It's the last thing that I'll probably do before I die. It's the one consistent common theme throughout my life. Um, you know, and, and I didn't know this at the time, but what I've learned is that my life is lived forward and learned backwards. So like what I've continued to realize is like, the longer I stay sober, the easier it is for me to look back and recognize the synchronicity in life's events that literally lead me to the right here, right now which proved to me that God is real and he's been doing for me much more, much longer than I could have conceived. But it also lets me see that skateboarding is the commonality that brings all of my things together in life. So, so you're right. You, you know, you kind of gave me a lot of different titles there and I wear a lot of different hats, but, but the one that I'm most proud of, uh, that has allowed me the opportunity and ability to achieve everything else in abundance times a million is, is a person in, in long-term sobriety. Or recovery, if you will. Well, you can go ahead and just introduce yourself and um, tell us your story and we'll just shut up. <laughs> cool. Cool. Fuck. I love that. I love the sound of my own voice. It's, it's me, <laughs> me, 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 and I have a few minutes you if it will help me. Uh, that, that's, that's what my life looked like prior to sobriety, right? Because what I've learned is that I'm selfish and I'm self-centered. That's just the nature of the beast that lives within me. Um, but I love talking about this topic. This topic gets me off. It gets me high. It gets me right. It right sizes me and it allows me to, to, to be the child of God that I am today. So I'm just going to bring it back and, and, and start from the beginning and, and, and who I am and, and who I am is uh, my name is Brandon and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, it's really simple what that means when I say that. And uh, I think some people might be able to relate if, if they suffer with the same disease that I suffer from. And and when I say that my name is Brandon, and I'm an alcoholic, all that simply means that I'm defiant by nature. I hate authority and I refuse to conform because I possess this job that places me in a lot of positions I don't like to be in and a lot of feelings that I don't like to feel. And that job consists of knowing everything. Right. So so thank you, MC Search, with 10 years sober, trying to give me some advice and suggestions on things that I should do to possibly save my life. But I'm going to kindly suggest why you should fuck off. Right. Because I know. Right. I possess that job that I know. And what I learned, right, what I learned is walking into my 13th inpatient treatment center, May 25th, 2015, I, I had just come to after being on life support for seven days. Um, I had my mother had bought me a plot. People had taken life insurance policies out on me. Uh, I had been medevac to four different hospitals in four different states, four different overdoses. Um, what I learned on that day was that, you know, what I do know is that I don't know. And my very best thinking, despite doing some things in life that people would contest to being successful or, or, or happiness or, or that may even be dreamed of being done, 
the reality of the best that I could come up with was walking into my 13th inpatient treatment center with my worldly possessions that consisted of eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, one stick of deodorant. It, it, it fit into this bag that doubled as my pillow, uh, a needle, a spoon, and a restraining order that the ink was still wet on that my mother had served against me to physically be removed from her home. Uh, I, I was a homeless heroin addict that wanted to like kill himself on a daily basis. I just didn't want to hurt myself in the process. I, I, I was terrible at suicide because I kept waking up and I found myself in a position in life where I was so low the curb looked like a skyscraper. You know, the prior 12 attempts at sobriety, I don't look at as failures. I don't see any of them as uh, not being successful because what happened was there was a seed planted along the way at each attempt of, of gaining or regaining my sobriety, right? Because prior to this, like, you know, if the, for any of the listeners out there for breaking anonymity uh, that are into this or just tuning in, um, and this is your first introduction to a meeting, per se, please allow me to be the first person to tell you your drinking and drugging career is now fucked. It's really hard to drink a glass of wine when it's cut with AA or shoot a bag of dope when it's cut with NA. It doesn't quite sit so right. I say that to say this, at each attempt at sobriety, although I may not have stayed sober or left treatment to get loaded, uh, I had acquired some knowledge. Right? And ignorance is bliss. When you don't know, you're not to be held accountable. But the fact of the matter is, I did the worst thing that I could have ever done for my drinking and the drug and career, is I actually successfully completed a full treatment center stay. And in that treatment center stay, they would take us to outside 12-step meetings. They would give me one-on-one therapy sessions with my counselor. And, and, and I got to learn about the disease that I had been diagnosed with and completely accepted my diagnosis, right? Because prior to this point, sadly, I really underestimated the opponent that I was up against every time, right? Because really, I I pride myself on being an outside the box kind of thinker. I'm the kind of guy, if I believe it, I can see it. I come from better, I know better. What I know now that I did not know today then is that the disease of addiction does not discriminate, right? From Yale or jail, the, the White House or the outhouse, the results are all the same and one out of three people will be affected directly or indirectly. And uh, I say that to let you know, like, if you're listening to this and you're anything like me, I'm very upfront, I'm very descriptive, and I'm very graphic with my story. As a matter of fact, I keep my past married to my present because the moment that this alcoholic forgets the pain that brought him through the 13th treatment center door, begging to God for one more chance, I will return, right? Um, So what I want to exclude from happening here is for the viewer or the listener per se to to not sit there and say, that guy really had it bad, but, but I won't turn out that way. It's impossible for me to land there, you know, because I was that guy. Um, My mother is a nuclear physicist on the board of Mercy Hospital. My brother is an attorney in the White House who practices pensions and benefits. And my father died as a direct result of the disease of addiction. He taught me one thing in life, if and when I go to prison, how to conduct myself. So it wasn't that I, I, I lacked the knowledge or understanding of addiction and or alcoholism because from a very young age, my father, everybody loved Jerome. Jerome was a great man, including myself. But when he did not show up to make dinner at 5.30, 
and we heard the key hit the lock at 2.33. We shook like leaves because him and his biker buddies were coming back and he was the kind of guy that when he was awake, the whole house would be awake. And we'd be paraded to the living room where we had to sit on the sofa and watch him and his biker buddies party, right? So I recognized and understood the psychic change that takes place upon each individual ingesting a drink or a drug. Therefore, I made it a point to excel at everything I did because I was never going to become that bum of a father of mine. And I did. I did really well. I, at the age of 14, I was the first skateboarder in the world to be endorsed by Gatorade. Um, you know, they were flying me to Chicago where, where they made Gatorade at the time in the Quick Roads building. And, and they put me on a treadmill and they put Michael Jordan on a treadmill directly next to me. And, They'd strap these EKGs to our chest and give us each Gatorade to see the effects that it has on different sports players. At 15, I'm designing my, my pro model for PAL. I'm, I'm touring the world with Tony Hawk. I, I have a private tutor that flies with. A little bit further down the road, I, I, I trip and I fall into those movies, Jackass. And again, I'm doing some things in life that people would accredit to success, happiness, potentially even dream of doing. Take it a step further, I, I decide that I want to write a book. Now, I have no high school diploma. I had not acquired my GED at this point. Keep in mind, I got my GED after my first book, after my first book was published while I was incarcerated. Um, but I decided I wanted to write a book, and I, I literally pen to paper, wrote 12 chapters. Uh, I have a very smart co-author with letters in front and behind his name. I gave my 12 chapters to him. He turned 12 into 23. We got a literary agent. The literary agent shot the script around. A publishing company bought it. Um, I'm like a legit published author where you could buy my memoir at Barnes and Nobles. It became a New York Times top 10 selling author. Um, so again, I, I really just want to paint this really clear, vivid picture uh, of, of who I was and what I had done from a successful standpoint. But the fact of the matter was I underestimated the opponent that I was up against for so long that I found myself May 25th, 2015, being denied access to a flight trying to fly to Florida because as I stood in the line trying to acquire my ticket to TSA airport security agent took one look at me and they said, Mr. Novak, are, are you under the influence of anything? And I said, no. And they said, we believe you are. You will not fly for 72 hours. Now, at the moment when I was trying to board that flight, I literally had the clothes on my back. At this point, I'm so disconnected from reality and or abnormality. The abnormal has become the normal. I'm, I'm living on an animalistic level where I merely live to use and use to live. I, I, the very best that I've come up with is, is standing on the corner of Eastern Avenue and Patterson Park praying to God that that lawyer that drives the Burgundy Cadillac gets off at 5 p.m. as opposed to 5.30 because he pays me good money to use my body. How the fuck did I get there, right? That, like, I had goals, I had dreams, I had ambitions, I had intentions. As a matter of fact, at a very young age, skateboarding did for me then what drugs and alcohol did for me later. Follow me. You give me that skateboard at the age of seven, you put me in a room with the world's prettiest models. I'll not only believe that they've been waiting for me, but that they're dying to marry me. Drugs and alcohol later on produce that same delusional effect. So I'm not the guy that, that sniffed that first line, hit that first pipe, swallowed that first pill, and, and had that aha moment. Like, I have now found the reason for which I'm gonna jump out of bed for with the lust of life every day. 
I don't even remember the first time I ingested a drink or a drug, but what I can tell you about is the first time that someone attempted to stand between me and it. And unfortunately, anything, and I mean anything that stands between me and it must and will go. And it's, it's not personal. It's just business for the game that I play because the disease from which I possessed it brought me to my knees every time. When, when it says jump, I don't have the pleasure to say, ah, I don't feel like it or how high, maybe tomorrow. I answer by any and all means necessary. And, and what happened was May 25th, 2015, I attempted to board that flight. And, and, and before I was catching this flight, I had to go cop some more stuff in, in the city. And, and, and the boys, the corner boys saw fit to rob me as opposed to serve me. And when they robbed me, I, I had these like, at once point in time, nice dress slacks on. If you overlook the cigarette hole burns in them because as a, a IV heroin addict, I chain smoke, I chain smoke, I fall asleep, I burn holes in my pants. And, and I don't have underwear on at this time because like I'm a homeless addict. I don't find imaginary dressers and imaginary alleys to take care of my belongings. And I have this like button up shirt on and, and I have these at once point in time, nice pair of Brooks Brothers shoes, but I had lost a shoestring along the way as I tied it around my arm. And um, the woman takes one look at me and she says, you will not fly. I believe you're under the influence of anything. And I said, absolutely not. And the reality is my perception of that event looked like this. The woman knows who I am. Her son or daughter's an addict or an alcoholic and she's blaming her kid's disease on me. How dare her piss on my parade? The reality is anybody dressed the way I was dressed would not be allowed to board a flight anywhere, let alone walk outside. Looking back, it's so clear to see what took place because I did not want to get on that flight. My heart was beating a million miles an hour, but I did not have the opportunity or privilege to not get on the flight. The woman was paying for my drugs. She was paying for my flight. I had to go and, 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 and God simply dressed up in the form of a TSA airport security agent and did for me what I could not do for myself. And I, I got out of line and I, I called my sponsor, Lex, and I said, Lex, I'm, I'm stranded at the airport and I want to kill myself. And he said, no. What you're gonna do is you're gonna get on a train, you're gonna come back to 30th Street Station in Philadelphia, and we, we, uh, we recovering alcoholics, we're gonna come pick you up. All right, in the beginning, I was not buying what they were selling, I was not drinking their Kool-Aid. Those people represented my father and I could not stand that, man. Um, and now at the end, these people are the only ones that will have me, the only ones excited to see me or even willing to pick up the phone when I call. They left their cookouts, they left their families, they left their kids, they, they, they came to the train station, they picked a hopeless, helpless alcoholic up that was deemed unhelpable and unfixable. They allowed me to spend the night at their house. The following morning, they took me back to the same facility I had been to four previous attempts out of 13 overall. I sat in the same chair with the same intake coordinator and previously it looked like this. She would say, okay, Mr. Novak, your insurance covers 90 days. I'd say in theory, 90 days sounds great, but in reality, I'm more of like a 45 day kind of fella. I have this woman to see, this job to fulfill, this state to go to, and she would gently <laughs> laugh at me each and every time and say, sweetheart, you have no idea. Anything and everything that you put in front of your recovery does not matter because it will go. May 25th, 2015, the terms of my contract had forever changed. For the first time in my life, I was finally demoralized in just such a fashion from drugs and alcohol. I was beaten into a state of reasonableness. I sat in the same chair with the same intake coordinator and she gave me the same offer as before. On this day, I could not come back with a counter offer because if I said no, it entailed an explanation for the first time in my life. And thank God I had finally been beaten speechless by my disease of addiction. 
She laughed at me. She said, sweetheart, you're in no condition to do your intake. Get up to detox. I'll see you in four days. 38-year-old grown man, I grabbed my worldly possessions, everything that I own, eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, one stick of deodorant, fits into that bag, doubles as my pillow, my needle, my spoon, and my restraining order, and I walk up to detox. I got these clothes on with my dick in my ass completely hanging out. The only button that's buttoned is my very top button. I got these shoes on with one shoestring. I'm walking into treatment looking like a gay East L.A. cholo gangbanger, and I get up to detox, and and the 19-year-old tech, he said, uh, Mr. Novak, you're back. And I said, aren't you a fucking genius? You don't miss a beat, do you, boy? Right? Because, like, he was happy. He was excited. He had that lust for life. He was clean. He was sober. And the reality is it had been a long time since I found anything funny or worth smiling over in my life. And as a matter of fact, anybody that did that in my area, I took as a sign of disrespect. He said, Mr. Novak, I regret to inform you, but your clothes are not rehab oriented. You need some sweatpants. You need some underwear. You need some slides. Unfortunately, the disease, the disease from which I possess does not allow me to own such simple articles of clothing. But I heard, remember, I told you, none of my attempts I look at as failures as trying to get sober. I remember one of my therapists along the way telling me, you know, a grateful alcoholic will never drink again. A grateful addict will never use again. And that sounded great, but it didn't apply because I wasn't in that position in my life. All of a sudden, when he told me I needed some underwear, I needed some sweatpants, I needed some slides, I found myself in my mind begging to God for a pair of underwear. And the things had kind of aligned. It was at that moment he said, don't worry, come downstairs. We're going to take you to the basement, to the donations room, and see if we can find you some used underwear. My mother's a nuclear physicist. My brother's an attorney of the White House. First skateboarder endorsed by Gatorade, doing a commercial with Michael Jordan, touring the world with Tony Hawk. In these movies that break box office records, New York Times top 10 selling author who had written a book on addiction. A 38-year-old homeless heroin addict standing in the basement of my 13th inpatient treatment center as this 19-year-old kid thumbs through these boxes looking for a pair of second, third, fourth, fifth hand used underwear, and I'm praying to God that he finds them. Two things at that moment were forever going to change my life, and I had no idea that the miracles were taking place right before my very eye. Looking back, if you would have opened up the English dictionary and added the word less to every word in that book, that's how I felt at that very moment. The very first thing that took place is he's thumbing through the boxes looking for the underwear. He doesn't find the underwear, but what he, saw, what he finds is a pair of size 40 women's sweatpants with no drawstring, a woman's tank top, and a pair of size 13 Jesus sandals. I'm not a woman and I do not wear a size 13, but something took place at that moment that was beyond human power. I was overcome with a sense of willingness, unlike anything a human had ever produced for me. At the very next moment, I went from realizing as he handed me clothes that were not made for a man and shoes that did not fit my size to the realization that you know what I do know? You know what I know? is that I don't know. And my very best thinking has placed me in this position, just coming to off life support in the very same hospital that my mother's a nuclear physicist on the board of. That's what the best I have, standing in the basement of a Catholic charities rehab that cost me $2 to get in. As a 19-year-old kid hands me clothes that are made for women and shoes do not fit. The very next thing that took place is that I was met face-to-face -face by the God of my understanding is a direct result of that gift of desperation. I took those women's clothes, I went upstairs, got a shower, got that Baltimore City smell off me, never so excited to put women's clothing on in my life. 
I, I successfully completed that 90-day treatment center stay. And what I learned in that facility is that my mentality will create my reality. And if I changed my perception, I could change my world. And that one day, if I stayed sober, my defects, the very same thing that was killing me on a layaway plan, one bag, one bottle, one pill at a time, could be the, the very same thing that Serge and Kyle asked me to come on their podcast about to deliver a message of promise, hope, and freedom, one that does not consist of a drink or a drug in a form of attraction rather than promotion so that when I'm finished, a viewer or a listener out there could say, if that motherfucker can do it, there's no reason why I can't. Right. Because when it becomes my idea, I excel at a rapid pace. But because I'm defiant by nature, if it's not my idea, I have to tell you to fuck off because I know. Right. Therefore, it's my job to make my story as desirable, as attractive and as appealing as so much so that you want to fuck it. If I can get you to that point, the terms of your contract forever change. That's that jumping off point that we talk about in the 12 step program that I attend on a daily basis. From that treatment center, uh, I went to a sober living house where I lived for one year. I had acquired a sponsor that that allowed me to experience the 12 steps. The God of my understanding brought me to AA. AA via the 12 steps had brought me back to the God of my understanding, which allowed me to have a spiritual experience. The definition of a spiritual experience is a psychic change. And all that means is I today, Brandon Novak, no longer think the way I thought May 25th, 2015, when I walked into my 13th treatment center, meaning that I just celebrated six over six years of continuous sobriety, and I have not been tempted once in my sobriety by a drink or a drug. This is nothing that I have done. I don't take credit for this. All I did was realize that the common denominator in my problems were me. Search alluded to it. The drink or the drug is nothing to do with the problem. Yes, it's the catalyst that got me to the 12-step program that I belong to, but the drink and the drug is merely the solution to the real problem, which is me, my thinking, my attitude, my behavior. So if I just get the fuck out of my way, put my hand out, become open-minded just long enough to believe that I don't know, but Search must because he's 10 years sober. Will you show me? He takes my hand, guides me to the promised land, and guess what? six years fucking sober. I didn't reinvent the wheel. I simply did what my sponsor suggested to me. Nine months into my process of sobriety, my mother, the very same woman that bought me a plot, the very same woman that took life insurance policies out on me, the very same woman that served me with a restraining order, the very same woman at the end of my addiction went to God and said, God, please cure him or please kill him because I can no longer take it anymore. Nine months into my process of sobriety, that very same woman called me and she said, Brandon, I hate when you come to visit. I said, why? She said, because I get so sad when you leave. I had been on parole and probation from 18 to 38, never a free day in between. It simply followed me from state to state to state. Two months shy of my two-year sobriety birthday, I decided I wanted to get my medallion abroad. I flew to Paris to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and picked up my two-year medallion. I no longer live in a self-induced prison that consists of a four-block radius that cost me $10 to get out of one bag at a time. On my third year anniversary, I, I acquired my first home that I live in, that's mine, that no one can evict and or put me out of. On my four-year anniversary, I decided I wanted to go to Amsterdam, where I went to a 12-step meeting and picked up my four-year medallion. Most people wouldn't go or think of Amsterdam to be a place to celebrate sobriety. As a direct result of that spike change that I've experienced, I'm a free man that can go anywhere with anybody and I'm no longer tempted by a drink or a drug. Yes, in the beginning, sober was 
was enough, but today's sobriety is just merely the beginning and I haven't even scratched the surface. And the greatest thing about all this is I've just dumbed my way into it, right? Like I simply followed the suggestions of the mentors that got here before me and God willing will be here after me. Uh, on my fifth year anniversary, right? I take heed to what they taught me in treatment. And they said, if you stick to the basics, kid, God willing, you never have to go back to the basics. Therefore, I still see the same therapist I had in treatment. I see her privately. I still do the same things in the beginning of sobriety today, over six years sober. And I promised that I would give back freely what was given to me. So I simply recreated the recovery house that I got sober in. And uh, on my five-year anniversary, right, because you told me if I changed my perception, I could change my world. I no longer look at God doing things to me, but for me. So I didn't see this terrible epidemic pandemic of the coronavirus as, as, as the end-all be-all. I simply saw it as us being divinely inconvenienced. I turned, a, I turned this, this pain into my purpose and I doubled down and I've probably helped more people find help during this pandemic. I've bought and opened two homes, which I call Novak's home, Novak's house, which is a men's recovery house. It's simply the same kind of house I got sober and I'm not recreating the wheel here. And, uh, you know, today I always say that sobriety has given me everything that drugs and alcohol ever fucking promised me, man. Your history does not have to dictate your future, but it can most certainly guide and direct that the disease of addiction is not a death sentence. And as long as you're breathing, it's never too late. So for me to say that I'm grateful that I'm on borrowed time to be here tonight to, to share my story with you, you know, who, who, who has been a pioneer, a legend in my world, long before recognizing the synchronicity of life's events that have brought me to the here and now, you know, this is God, this is all God. This is nothing that I've done. And, and, and I'm merely just a messenger in a bigger picture. So thank you guys. Thank everyone listening for allowing me the privilege and time to share with you. Unbelievable. Your story is so powerful and moving. I can't thank you enough for sharing. Um, one thing I really related to you on was the, the hate of authority. <laughs> I went to Catholic school my whole life, so I was always the kid getting sent to the corner by the priests and the nuns. They fucking hated me because I'd show up to school like tripping balls and like, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good. And like, of course, I was always hanging out with the skaters. And I remember like going to this uh, really snotty party, um, all the Duchenne girls. This was my Catholic all girls high school going to this party, bringing my skater friends. They walk in, they have their boards and shit. They look a little rough, you know, and be like, you can't be here. And I was just like, wow, okay. But um, we showed them what's up. <laughs> we stayed there and partied anyway. But um, yeah, I, uh, I was wondering, was there a moment when you noticed that that obsession to use was lifted? Because for me, it took me accepting the fact that I just can't do anything to really get clean. And I've been clean for 11 years and yeah. it wasn't until, yeah, it wasn't until I said, Kyle, you can't do shit. I, I think a lot of things aligned, right? Like, like I had attempted to get sober so many times. I, I had attempted to rearrange the furniture on the Titanic a million times and the ship always sank. So at 38 years old, I, I basically did process of elimination, but backwards. And, 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 and sobriety, complete abstinence, and the 12-step program that I landed in was the last place that I wanted to go, the only thing I never tried that ultimately worked, right? It, it's it literally, and, and from there, right, I got to the point where 
on a lot of days when I was getting loaded, you know, I, I hear people say my, my worst day sober is better than my best day loaded. And I'm like, fuck, I feel sorry for you. I, I've yeah. done some of the most amazing things in my life with the best memories loaded, unfortunately. But the thing is, 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 is that party ended and that party turned into a, a hostage situation and there was no more negotiation and I was no longer allowed to leave at my own free will. And, and it paid nothing but pain and misery. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be there. So, so at the end, I found myself a 38 year old homeless guy who had attempted to get sober so many times. And I saw that it worked in my, my dear friend's life, right? Like their, their messages held depth and weight. I knew it wasn't bullshit. I knew it wasn't just giving a whole bunch of hypotheses or educated guesses. They got high like I got high and now they're sober. And, and the writing was on the wall. And the worst thing about it is that it was in my handwriting that like I could no longer justify or minimize the severity of the disease from which I suffer with. I could no longer say, well, if maybe if the judge would have got laid the night before, maybe I would have fucking got off that case. You know, if the probation officer's piss test wasn't faulty, I wouldn't, you know, like I just, I had to take responsibility for my actions. I had tried so long to not do that. And then when I bought into it, it was so simple. When I walked into that treatment center number 13, I didn't know that that was the one. Like they didn't really teach me anything different than 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, or 1 missed. The only thing that was different is that the pain was so great that I was willing to do anything to not feel the way that I felt. You know, and the pain turned into my purpose. It allowed me to be open-minded just enough to say, I can't, but God damn it, every time I come back to your facility, you can, you're still here sober. Maybe you're on to something that I'm not hip to. Can you show me? And then go figure. Yesterday, tomorrow, I felt better than yesterday. And the day after that, I felt better than the day before. And it really just snowball affected into the here and now. And ultimately now, what's been cool is that I've, been blessed with the ability to stay sober long enough that the scales of justice have finally evened out, meaning that the life that I have and the people and the things in it are so fucking rad, so appealing, so desirable that 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 the thought of having a drink or a drug and losing all of that seems insane to me. It's the best feeling in the world, right? Serge, what are you thinking over there? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, unlike you, Kyle, I'm, I'm sitting here crying in my eyes out. It's, uh, a, it's a very um, compelling story, especially the pain. The one thing, though, I, I keep thinking about, you know, a lot of your friends still from that era, Bam, and a lot of those guys are still in what we call active addiction. How do you apply those principles of attraction rather than promotion, knowing that you can't control what you'd love to kind of control because of those love of your guys. Yeah, it's, it's tough, man. It's tough. But what I've learned is that I, I have a disease and it's centered in perception, right? So how am I viewing the actual situation and how I choose to view the situation with my best friend, Bam, who, who literally has paid to put me in several treatment centers. I credit him to saving my life, pulling me out of Baltimore city, moving me into Westchester, allowing me to be on the show. You know, he's the guy. Um, and, and, and I've been the guy that's been called to do several interventions on him. And, and right now he's, he's in a place where his needs are being addressed and, and we could pray for him. Um, but I believe that, that God saw fit to use me for that person in that position. And what better person to be there for a friend that's suffering, you know, it's no longer like 
why me? Why me? It's like, why the fuck not me? <laughs> People are like, yo, how are you doing? And the reality is way better than I deserve. If justice was due, I'd be dead years ago. Oh, but like, God. I, I thought of that a thousand times during your share. It's like you have more lives than a cat. And I was like, damn, you know, Serge, you read my mind. Like I wanted to ask about your inner circle, but I also want to be, you know, respectful and sensitive about it as well. Um, you know, as a fan, I, think I love it's important. Fans. How do you marry those two in your day to day when you're dealing with friends of yours that are knee deep in that struggle, right? You know, it's, it's funny when I was in treatment, they said, you know, you're going to have to change people, places and things. Right. And, and, and what are your triggers? And, and I, I came to the understanding and realization that, that my triggers are when my fucking eyelids open, right? The kind of alcoholic that I am, I can justify why any time, place, feeling, or sensation makes sense to have a drink over. So what happened was I fully bought into the concept that like, it is impossible for me to dispute or, or negate the fact that I can't drink or drug without repercussions. Every time I do one or the other, I end up in positions and places that I don't want to be in. And I don't know how I got there. So I bought into the fact that like the slogans, one is too many, a thousand is never enough. Feelings aren't facts and feelings pass. No need to act off impulse. And, and, and I drank the Kool-Aid, right? I drank the Kool-Aid. I bought in. And uh, what happened was, unbeknownst to me, is I didn't have to change any people, places, and things. What happened was my interest had changed, right? And I still love my friends just as much, if not more than before. But I assure you, my people that were still getting loaded were not interested in doing the sober things that I was doing. Like, uh, you know, my get well job was I was washing dishes uh, at a diner called Marianne's for $6 an hour under the table. And then from that, I got a promotion to waiting tables. I lived in a sober house that had like structure, rules, accountability, I had to be in at certain times. I had to come home for mandatory dinners. I had to attend 12-step meetings. I had to have a sponsor. I had to fellowship. And, and my friends that, that weren't sober or, or going in that direction were not interested in coming with me to meetings. They were not interested in hanging out at diners with a whole bunch of sober people. So I didn't have to call them like, stay away, you know, uh, stranger danger, you know, throw Hollywood on them. <laughs> they, they, they just weren't into what I was into. And I, having that psychic change, was no longer into to hanging out at the pub, sniffing blow, trying to fuck any broad that walked past, right? Like that that wasn't in my wheelhouse anymore. So we kind of just parted ways. And and believe it or not, I've had a lot of, a, a good amount of people, more than I, I believed, and some people that like I idolized, like straight up idolized, reach out to me and say, I've been watching your sites. I've been watching your progression. And I want you to know that I like, I, I'm sober too. I got sober. Mm -hmm. not like, but they prefer to remain anonymous, which is great. But, you know, it, it's just, I, I, I chose to like completely give my life to people that need a voice. You know what I mean? For people that need a hand, for people that want out, but don't understand how to get out or found themselves in a position that they don't know how they got in. You know, I've heard this story once and I love it. There's this man and he's on the side of the road and he's stuck in this big sinkhole. He's stuck at the bottom of this sinkhole and he's in there by himself and he's screaming for help. A doctor walks past the hole. He throws down a, a script. A police officer walks past the hole and he throws down a citation. A judge walks past the hole and he throws down a subpoena. 
An addict walks past the hole. He jumps down in the hole with the guy. The guy's like, are you fucking crazy? I've been stuck here for days. And he said, it's okay. I've been here before. I know how to get out. You know, when we ask everybody this yeah. question, yeah. you know, as we kind of come to a close, what is the one thing they should know about a 12-step program or finding a program that will work for them? What is the yeah, one yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, That's a great question. And uh, what I could never do alone the moment I reached my hand out and asked for help, I found that we did this together. There's power in numbers. There, there's, there's, there's such a victory in admitting defeat. You just have to change your perception. Wow. Amazing. Um, yeah. and, and Brandon, can you give everybody the number and the website to how they can get in touch with your, not only your, your rehab facilities, but people that want to get in touch with you and, and get help from you? Absolutely. So if, if anyone's out there struggling and they found themselves in a position that they're not sure how they got there or can't get out of on their own, they can call me directly. 610-600-9174. And if you're interested in, in seeing what I have going on, all the different rabbit holes that exist under my name, just go to my website, all one word, www.brandonnovak.com. Check out new episodes of Breaking Anonymity every Wednesday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends and subscribe. The Breaking Anonymity podcast is a timeless podcast company production. Executive produced by Chantel Barron, Brett Epic-Mazur, Kyle Eustis, and Michael Barron. Produced by Kyle Eustis and Michael Barron. Sound design by Brett Epic-Mazur and Nick Davila. Breaking Anonymity logo created by Paul Lukes. Sound effect voiceover by Tembisa Mashaka. If you are battling with addiction or know someone who is, please call the National Addiction Helpline. 1-800-662-4357. That's 1-800-662-4357. You do not have to battle addiction alone.